What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ben. Thanks Drew. Each episode we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Ben and I will sample beer from Omaha's Script Town Brewing Company, react to the Illinois game, and preview Nebraska's matchup against Minnesota. I'm Drew. I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, not the kind of recording session we wanted to sit down for when it comes to reacting to this Illinois game. But I got to tell you, I should have known that something was going to happen and that it wasn't going to turn out our way because of what happened to me at about 11 o'clock yesterday. Okay. Uh, by yesterday, of course, being Saturday as we're recording this on the, the Sunday after post-mortem. And <laughs> I was loading my kids into the car we were going to take them over to grandma and grandpa's before the game and, and have some some downtime as mom and dad to go run some errands, go pick up some beer for this episode, that sort of fun stuff. Yeah. I opened my garage and this horse of a dog comes stampeding <laughs> into our garage. Now, I don't know this dog. This isn't our dog. Our dog is very tiny and cat-like. Uh, not tiny, but cat-like in, in her attitude in the sense that she won't go near anyone. This was like a galloping beast that came running straight towards us. Yeah. As big white dog and he's running up up to me and sniffing stuff and he's running up to my kids and th- like this dog's taller than my three-year-old so it's like one of those things where it's like i don't know what's going on and i'm kind of nervous for my children right and p- past conversations that we've had you know the neighborhood dogs you like the neighborhood dogs right yeah. like you're familiar with them i'm very aware of the you guys are on dogs. a first name basis this guy comes running up and he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry that's my dog i'm sorry i'm so sorry i'm so sorry he's not grabbing his dog He's just apologizing for his dog, and then he's yelling for the dog to come to him. And and But he's not, like, making an active effort to come grab his dog. Well, we were loading our kids into the car, into the in the garage. The door to our home was open. The dog oh, ran no. into our house <laughs> and just started running around in our home. And oh, it's just, like, going around. And, like, we had snacks still on the table from the kids because my wife was going to take the kids to grandma and grandpa's. I was going to clean up the house, and then we were going to run our errands when she got back, that sort of stuff. Yeah. This dog's like eating a popcorn ball. This dog is like checking out our furniture, seeing which is the comfiest couch in the house, this sort of thing. And the guy is just standing outside of our house. And my wife goes, you can go in and get your dog. <laughs> 
Well, sure as shit. Can you guess what fan base this guy had a hat on? Oh, God, no. It wasn't Illinois, but it was another I-team. Oh, no. We got an Iowa curse dropped on us yep. at the beginning of the day. And, of course, Iowa goes on to score more points than they've ever scored before. And and I have to imagine <laughs> it's because of this fucking dog that's just running havoc. So the guy walks into our house. He, he gets the dog. I'm sure he was, like, scoping the place, going to rob us, something like that. I don't know. I don't want to pass judgment, but it just felt like that. It was the perfect setup. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sits down in our garage as we're loading our kids in, and he starts telling us all about himself. Oh. Who he is, where he lives, what house he's in in the neighborhood, all this sort of stuff. And my wife and I are like, why isn't he fucking leaving? Like, (laughs) We very clearly were in the middle of leaving. Our children are traumatized by this dog. I'm angry. And you're sitting here telling us your life story. I don't care. So that happened. Incredible. They left. Well, I, I go and I check the ring. And this was the saving grace of the story. He was in our front yard before we were trying to load the kids up. And he was trying to corral his dog. And his dog was was you know, playing chase and thought this is the greatest. This is so much fun. And the dog does a shimmy and a juke and the guy dives for his dog and just misses and just eats it. And we've got it on the ring camera. So at least we got to replay that moment. You have a memento, like a little yeah. souvenir from the experience. Yeah. yeah. So needless to say, I never want to talk to that neighbor again. <laughs> and I won't say his name. I won't say the dog's name for fear that he's listening. And we, you know, we, we go from 10 listeners down to nine, but there we are. So okay. I, I knew something, you know, bad was afoot. Yeah, that's when a, an Iowa fan's dog took ownership of our of our home. A wild way to start your yeah your Saturday. Yeah. Oh, I I uh, don't have any such story. I knew it was going to be a bad day just because we were playing <laughs> Illinois, and I just had a bad feeling about that game anyway. Anytime so. people are saying, you know what, they're ranked seventeenth, but how could the how good can they be? They haven't played anyone of of note, and you're like, well, there's still reactions after the game are still well, yeah, but they're not that good, or like, and they they you could question some of their you know some plays or play calling from the game, but like to walk away from that and be like, yeah, but they're still not, you know, they're nothing to it's, sneeze at. Like, like they're yeah. good. They are still a solid, well rounded team. They don't beat themselves, and they even, know exactly what they're they, doing. They tried to yeah, uh, in yeah. the first quarter. They really they really were trying to. Yeah, you know, test the water and see what happens if we put ourselves in a hole. It turns out three points isn't really a hole for Illinois. It's just an opportunity. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah. Well, before we dive into talking about the Illinois game, um, it's our job and it's our duty to talk about local craft beers, and and it's a a joy of ours and a pleasure of ours. And this week we're going to cover uh, Script Town Brewing Company. Have you had Script Town before? I feel like I have, but I I don't remember. You know, they're they're. A great mainstay in the local scene. Yeah. They've been around for, for quite a while as far as the scene goes. It's been, I believe, eight years now that they've been open, which is a long time for craft breweries, especially when you consider like the craft beer boom was probably a couple of years after that, especially in the Omaha area. Um, they're always at festivals. They're always big on, you know, having a nice presence known, and they do a lot of collaborations around town. But I got a little profile on them. I'd like to tell you a little bit about them because I think they actually have a really cool history and a cool backstory as uh, home brewers before becoming um, a full-on brewery excellent so script town brewing company is a session beer driven microbrewery in the heart of omaha nebraska's blackstone district the brewery was the culmination of lifelong home brewer john farrer and omaha restaurateur scott stevens john farrer of south omaha had been brewing beer at home for over 30 years before opening script town in the 1980s home brewing required even more dedication than today Information on home brewing was only available in books, and sourcing quality content was a challenge. On top of acquiring the knowledge, John was also faced with the difficulty 
of ingredient acquisition. There were a few local stores where John could piece together the items he needed, but nothing like Patriot Brewing or Fermenter Supply that we have today. But challenges aside, a thirsty man is a determined man. (laughs) Over the years, John's recipes improved, as did the resources available to him. By 1994, John began entering his beer into local competitions. A silver medal here, a blue ribbon there, and eventually John entered his best beer into the National Homebrewers Conference's annual competition. In 1996, John's Muddy Mo Amber Ale, great name, by the way, for an Omaha beer. Yes, yep. His Amber Ale won Best in Show, and John took home the award for Home Brewer of the Year. So there's some real prestige behind the beer. Fast forward to 2009, and John Farr met restaurant owner Scott Stevens. Scott, having lived in Portland, knew the craft beer scene was on the rise, and that Omaha would be an excellent spot for a new craft beer. As the pair looked for a location and built their business model, John began brewing beers for Scott's restaurant, Lot 2, in Benson. Did you ever eat at Lot 2 when they were around? I did not. Oh, great, great restaurant. They had really good steak frites. They had really good, uh, like, clams. Oh, really good restaurant. It was sad to see them go. Yeah. But Scott was one of those guys who, he moves on, you know, and, and finds some cool opportunities and likes to continue to evolve as a restaurant owner. Right. Which is kind of neat. You know, this was a thriving restaurant, um, but constantly looking to evolve and, and change and get into different areas gives cool things, right? It, it leads to breweries. It leads to pushing the envelope and, yes, and experimenting. Yeah, exactly. John and Scott's timing couldn't have been more perfect as they were seeking out a location for their brewery. Omaha's Blackstone district was at the starting phase of its revitalization. The company leading the charge on the development of Blackstone introduced John and Scott to a building, which formerly housed a Piggly Wiggly. The rest is Omaha craft beer history. You can't not laugh when <laughs> when when saying Piggly Wiggly. I know it's so fun. Yeah. I didn't know we had Piggly Wigglies here. I thought Seriously. that was only in the South. Well, we don't have many more. Yeah, but well, yeah. At one time, that's right. I'd rather have um, Script Town than a Piggly Wiggly. So, <laughs> <laughs> my nickname in middle school. <laughs> in December of 2014, Script Town opened its doors and quickly cemented itself as an excellent spot for beer and connection. The session beer philosophy allowed guests to sample a wide breadth of styles without the overconsumption of alcohol. Trips to the brewery can last much longer, and conversations are able to benefit because of it. Now, one last note on Script Town. You're probably wondering how the brewery got its name. Well, Script Town was the name of one of Omaha's first subdivisions around 30th and coming to Fort Street. The subdivision was named after Scripps, a form of payment used in the U.S. until 1938. And as a way to reflect and respect the history of the area, John and Scott chose the neighborhood name as their own. Today, you can find the occasional bottle of Script Town in area liquor stores and restaurants, or sample their entire lineup at their original tap room in Omaha's Benson, or excuse me, in Omaha's Blackstone District on 39th and Farnham. And that is the history behind Script Town Brewing Company. That's awesome. There's so much to digest from that one. Like, um, you know, the fact that obviously, like, they they um, have the homage to the history of Omaha. Um, you know, tied into an, a historic neighborhood. Um, that he got his home brewing start, but like, not recently yeah. but like back in the day yeah when you had like you said like they didn't have all the resources they didn't have like programming and stuff on computers that could do the work for you right. so you had to learn the science behind it and learn the process um and you had to be dedicated like yeah. you had to want to do it i can tell you right now I, and i mean this with <laughs> all my heart and you know where i'm going i would I, not yeah. brew beer if i didn't have computer software to ma- help me make it and if i didn't have easy access to the product yeah 
I would find something else to do with my time. You'd buy beer. I would, yeah, I would buy yeah. it and I'd enjoy it and I'd appreciate the other guys putting in all that extra effort. Well, would you though? Because you wouldn't even have the knowledge of how it's made. You'd just be like, oh, someone's just adding some wheat to my water <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and waiting. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, that's very impressive of, of John and, um, and what he did. Yeah, and I, thought it, grew and- I thought it was a fascinating story, right? To, to go from being a home brewer, like you said, without really resources available, having to hunt those resources down, and then also to gain this reputation over time and constantly be improving. Right, to win a national award yeah. is incredible. Yeah, and, and to have that be like, not where he stopped, right? Winning the national award was just continued confirmation of like, here's where I want to get going. And there's even more details to the story where it's like there were opportunities to open up a brewery for him, for John, but he kind of put it aside for family life and wanted to make sure that everything was sound there before continuing to chase after what he really knew he wanted to do at the end of the day, which is to me also admirable. Like there's a lot of really cool stories to this. And I should note a lot of the information I got from this, you can find on Joe Java Stout's website. Um, that was my major source for doing a lot of this research. If you're a fan of any craft brewery, you have to check out Joe Java Stout's website. Yes. It's fantastic. It's loaded. You're, you're going to get the history of every brewery in the state. Um, but he's just a great resource and a great guy, too. He's a, he's a friend of the program, friend of the podcast. We've had him on before, um, and we've we've hung out with him outside of recording. So, uh, yeah, just, just a great history. And uh, so I chose the beer that we have in front of us to go against the grain. Right. So I, I noted that yeah. instantly when you, yeah. So they're a session brewery, which, which as we described a little bit, session breweries are places where they're brewing beers around like what, 5%? Even less. Yeah. Even you less. Can go yeah. Down to like in the threes and fours. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's meant to be a lower alcohol product. You taste more of the, um, more of the wheat, more of the hops, more of the flavors that are going into the beer and less of the heat. You're not getting as much of the alcohol as you're drinking. Well, I picked a nine percenter. I was like, let's go against the grain and let's, let's three pick. in one. Yeah, yeah. So this is Dimitri's revenge. It's a Russian Imperial stout. It's nine percent and it was actually bottled a year ago. So it's had some chance to age and, and to, to grow and mature and stuff like that. And I for one enjoy this beer. It's got a lot of roastiness to it. It's got a lot of that kind of multi quality. Uh, and there's definitely like a coffee note and you get that that warmth from the barrel and, and things like that. It's a really interesting expression for this Russian Imperial stout, especially from a brewery that is maybe experimenting on this front. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, lo- I love stouts. Um, I love roastiness, and this one really packs it in. Um, and it's in, this is one where you you really get um, a lot of the barrel, I think, coming through. So if you like barrel-aged beers where, um, you know, that, that alcohol, that heat is really present in those, this is definitely a beer for you. And I think what's important to note on something that does have that kind of barrel age quality to it is there has to be a solid beer behind it. There has yes. to be that sugar content, that weight, that depth, uh, that texture to that beer and able to pull that out. Because a lot of times you get these barrel aged and you get these these stouts that claim to be barrel aged and then they taste just like a normal stout, if not a little bit watery. And it's because mm-hmm. of the beer that they put in there kind of wasn't worthy of the process. Yeah, yeah. And I think this one definitely holds up, Yeah, you know, with the with the barrel there. And it allows, you again, you, you get a lot of the barrel. You still have the the beer, the backbone there yeah. that really shines. Well, I would encourage folks to take a trip down to Script Town. Uh, not only is the brewery awesome, but Blackstone in itself has a lot of great restaurants. It's a cool area to walk around. A lot of neat bars. There's great ice cream down there. Oh, it's my favorite ice cream spot. Yeah, Coneflower. Yes. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of great stuff to do around there. And then you're near Midtown as well. So there's a lot of great stuff. And obviously downtown the old market. Like it's just an awesome area. Um, that is always a pleasure to go down and, and visit, especially being from West Omaha. You know, it's it's a jaunt, but it's one where you're, once you're there, you're like, man, this is so cool that it's we cool. have this. Yeah, it's a city. cool spot. So awesome. Well, that's fun. Let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Illinois. Okay. 
Nebraska drops this game with a score of 26 to 9. God, did they drop it. Ooh. Drew, Drew, you're fired up on this one. I'm, I, <laughs> yeah, I went, I went to bed angry and I woke up angry with this one. Yeah. Um, I, you my, know, they say to never go to bed angry <laughs> with your, with your spouse. I didn't have your a fucking team. choice. Okay. <laughs> I, I watched this football game from start to finish, like probably most people listening. Um, I had a little hour break to process, and then I had my Phillies playing game two in the World Series, which they also lost. So. Yeah all around not a great night um well let's add on to that that adrian martinez is now bowl eligible <laughs> he is but he didn't play in K- either matter. way the fact k-state like just destroyed oklahoma state with their that's a good own team. back yeah that is an all-around great team yeah. so anyway um we're let's get back to let's get back to you us. know what no uh, let's talk about kansas state <laughs> Where where do you want to start? Where do you okay. want to start with talking about the Illinois matchup? I the the thing that where most of my anger comes from was with um, the whole quarterback situation. Yeah, following Casey getting um, knocked out with the injury, Smothers came in. Yep, which indicates me that he's the number two guy. Yep. Okay, emergency situation. Smothers, you're in. You're the next man up. He plays a little while, and then uh, Purdy comes in. Right. Um, Halftime, I think Mickey said that they were planning on having Smothers come out to start the second half, but he doesn't. It was a surprise. Purdy came out after the game. Mickey said, well, we kind of deferred to Whipple on that one because he felt like Purdy gave us the best chance to throw the ball. You know what I think is interesting about that is he didn't say he gave us the best chance to win. He gave us the best chance to throw the ball. He Well, yeah, but in a roundabout way because he said that he felt like they needed to throw the ball to win. Okay. So I so it, it in a roundabout way he did say that. Um, I wish you would have just said it that. It could have been more. You direct. know what I mean? Yeah, I wish you would have just do. said he. We thought he was our best chance to win the game. But if they thought that, this is this is where, where some of my frustration comes in, and this is all on the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Is that if you think that Purdy's your best chance behind Casey, why didn't he come in first? Why was he not the number two guy? I have a theory, and my theory is, it they were taking time to give Purdy the chance to process and say, hey, you're going to go in. We don't want you to rush this process. We're going to try and just get out of this half with where we are. I want you to, like, think about going. Like, I think it was more of a, hey, let's sit and think and process. I don't like that's, I don't like that, if that's true. Well, well, it, well it, if Logan can get thrown in, like, Logan was fine. He stepped in. And well, Rogan. Uh, Rogan. Rogan. Uh, <laughs> Rogan Ruthers. <laughs> no, Logan threw, what, a screen pass and then ran a couple quarterback runs and then they punted. Yeah. Right. So to me, it's like that's not super complex, but it's like, hey, you're going to be running the offense, Chuba. So like, let's get in that mindset where we're going to be running this offense. But then Logan came in for, I think, a second series. Yeah. Before that. I'm, I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm saying like, that's how I can kind of make sense of it. If you need if you as a backup quarterback need to step back in that situation and take the time <laughs> to adjust. Yeah. <laughs> then you're probably not ready. And I don't. And, that's on coaching. And again, that. Yeah, this is on this is on coaching. Um, the fact that there was confusion over it, over who's our guy, who's the best chance. Like we've seen Casey get hurt, knocked out in games. Um, we've seen him get lit up a lot. We knew, and they knew that this was a definite possibility at any point in the season. It's regardless of it's an inevitability. Even, even if it's almost a fluke, every yeah, game yeah. that that Casey's going to need a series where he can regroup because this offensive line, offensive lines. Yes, yeah, and even if it's even if it wasn't the offensive line's fault, they're just bad luck in games. Yeah. You you have to be prepared. And it just seemed to me 
like the coaches were not prepared for this possibility. Sure. Or if they were, they were not on the same page. They had different ideas of who was going in. Which, if you look at the depth chart, I'm pretty sure it has Casey Thompson as one, and then it has Chuba or Smothers in two. So it wasn't even decided on the depth chart. Yeah. And that's frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it played out in not a great way. Um, the fact that the, the that Purdy seemed so unprepared um, was also frustrating. Yeah. And, and you know, and I, I don't, they, they talked about like, uh, I think Mickey said something about how he wasn't getting reps in practice. Yeah. It, that <laughs> it's so, it's so damning at times. Some of the stuff, you know, and, and I appreciate Mickey's honesty and I appreciate yeah. him saying these things out front, but then at the same time, you're kind of like, well, but why? Right. You know what I, I mean? Like, yeah, I why isn't you, he, you want to give your ones as much, you, but the, the, possible, whole, but, the whole point of a bye week I'm pretty sure is that first week should be for the twos and the threes to get reps, to have them ready because like you're halfway through the season, a little bit more so, your guys are going to be tired and weary and there's a good chance that they're going to need a break or that they're going to get injured or they're going to, you know, things that have been bothering them are going to be exacerbated when they take a bad hit. And it's football, you're going to get hit. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, and that's, yeah, it's crazy that, that again, yeah, coming out of the bye, your, your backup quarterbacks, didn't have reps. One of them, your offensive coordinator didn't have confidence in to run whatever he wanted to run, and the other one he had confidence in, but you didn't give that guy reps. Yeah, blows my mind. Yeah. So that and and just again the miscommunication between those two, just crazy to me. The other thing that frustrated me, I mean, there's more, we'll, and we'll go into detail on like offense and defense, and I want to talk about um, particularly first downs. But the other thing that really um, bugged me was that they they did. S- they did something similar in the way that they approached this game as they did with Purdue in that they allowed Illinois to control the clock and run a ton of plays, and they simply did not. To a point where um, Nebraska ran 49 total plays on the day. Illinois had 48 rushes. Oof. And they were throwing the ball around, and too. And they were still throwing it. Yeah. They had 70 total plays, but they ran the ball. they ran the ball almost as many times as Nebraska ran any play at all. Like it's just, I mean, that, and that speaks to a lot of things that, that goes beyond probably just game planning and how you're approaching a game. But a lot of it goes into how you're executing mm-hmm. said game plan. Um, but Jesus fucking Christ, like that's that's just bad. That was one of those stats where it was like, man, like this game really, like they didn't look good at all. And then this was like, oh, there's one of those numbers that like reaffirms that, yeah, like sure. what I saw was truly not good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the specifics. I mean, okay, for me, for me, when it comes to the offense. I don't have a, a ton of notes because it just felt like the same issues every single series or the same issues every time the offense took the field. I thought in the first half that offensive line was actually getting decent push and was offering up some pretty decent pass protection. But I feel like, you know, you're trying to, in any game, establish the run to open up your passing game. And the run was there. And yet we're calling all these runs to the edge. When you get a guy in like, you know, Yant, who is not the fastest guy on the field, he is your bulldozer, and you're clearing paths. Why aren't you calling plays for him to clear paths? When Anthony Grant is running chunk yardage, getting 8, 10 yards a run, and you're opening these big holes, and then we go away from it, it's like you don't have to go away from this stuff just because you tried it. It's almost like keep doing it until they stop it. Yeah. Right? That's the whole point of running the ball to open up the pass. Make them sell out against the run as opposed to doing their job for them. There's just so many 
questionable calls. And I think it's because Whipple's trying to get into his pocket, which is like, okay, we ran the ball a few times. Now I got to throw it. Yes. Right now I got to call the pass. That's what it feels like. But then when you've got a guy like Casey Thompson, who's just been abused the entire season, and we're used to seeing this, right? We've seen it when it happened to Adrian Martinez for four years. Like we know that the quarterback at Nebraska under the offensive line of this staff, whether it's our current offensive line coach or the previous offensive line coach, that quarterback is going to get abused. We have not found success in developing quality offensive line talent, and that's the coach's fault, right? We're bringing in quality players, but the coaches aren't developing them the way that they should. Casey's internal clock was off yesterday. He was rushing everything. We got lucky with that first pass. He threw over the middle that was almost intercepted where Volkolek had to climb the ladder to try and even get a hand on it. Well, then the next play right after that, he throws an interception when Palmer's not running the same route and things like that. And that's because Thompson's not, you know, like anticipating the breaks. He's just trying to speed through his reads and, and make the, the first thing he sees and go. And, and that's also a failure of the coaches, right? To like instill confidence that like, no, you, we, we coached our guys up. Like you've, you've got the time because there were so many missed receivers yesterday in that first half where had Casey hit, you know, Palmer on a crossing route, mm-hmm. that's, that's 15 yards right there. Or um, guys are open in the end zone when we're on the 35 yard line, when we're threatening in the red zone and they're just being missed because there's just this concern that I'm going to get lit up. And then, you know, it happened. And then it happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about your, what you were talking about with the run. Um, Grant had 12 carries total in this game, 12, which is, there's no reason for him to have that few. Yeah. He had six in the first half. He was going for, he went for 34 yards. He had a, he had a few big, you know, chunks. Um, he had a few that went for nothing. Yant wasn't really doing much on the ground either. He had a couple carries. They were trying to, it looked like the backs were trying to get out to the edge and yeah. that, and that wasn't happening. Like no. Illinois had way too much speed right. for that, but you were right. They were, they were able to hit them up the middle and yeah, the fact that he just they, that's not something that they can just stick to. Um, again, when when you know the other team is going to control the clock, like just take a little bit of that back. Just take a little bit yeah. of the clock back for yourself. Yeah, give your defense just a little bit of a break. Um, that drove me nuts. And then the and then the fact that that he said at half that hey we need to throw the ball to win this game. No, you fucking don't. No, not now. It's it was twenty to nine at halftime. Your defense was doing. The defense did a great job. We're obviously not talking about defense. Defense did a phenomenal job. I thought this defense game, I played thought. really well for what for what they were up against and how long they were on the field again for like multiple you know multiple games in a row. Um, to to have to defend the ball after four turnovers and only give up thirteen points off those four turnovers. Um, two I, of them on incredibly short fields. Yeah, I thought the defense made two mistakes, and they were both for touchdowns. They were they were basically the two wheel routes. They got hosed on both times because the linebackers you know, didn't know if they were in man or zone coverage or whatever, and things were blown. And yeah. Chase Brown scored one, and is it Isaiah Williams, Washington? Williams. Williams. Yeah. Isaiah Williams had the other one to to open the game. Like, yes. both of those were the times we the defense got hosed. Every other time, they knew where they were supposed to be. Like, it was just a matter of Illinois called a good play. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, that's okay. That's all right. Um, so, yeah, so that was, like I said, I, that was just the idea that they just can't fucking commit to the run. And we I think this was talked about preseason probably when when people were like oh like pit fans, oh just you wait, you know this dude doesn't like to run the ball and we're like yeah, but, uh, he's still successful. It's like no, he doesn't fucking like to run the ball. Right. Um and it's just not going to fly. Like we keep getting beat by teams that are absolutely 100% committed to running the ball. Sure. They're not flashy throwing the ball. They make high percentage throws. Yeah. 
Um, and and Tommy DeVito lived up to what we had talked about last week, which was he's going to make those high percentage throws. He's not going to put the ball in danger. Very rarely, I mean, he didn't put the ball on the ground at all. He only had like two incompletions the entire day. They were smart, super smart incompletions. Super smart. They were they were throwing five eight yards at a time on these mesh routes on these drags for the tight end, and and they're they're throws you can make with your eyes closed because you know the guy's going to be there. He's going to be open. Yeah, you know, and and when when you're sound like that, and when that's what you're running, you're not going to get called for offensive pass interference because your receivers are looking back when they're going to rub. So it looks like they're, I mean, they're they're doing everything right, and and it's not like Illinois runs a complicated anything on either side of the ball. They're right. just sound. They're well coached. They're they're disciplined. They're they're technically sound, and that is a good football team, right? Are they going to be world beaters? We don't know yet. The Michigan matchup for them is going to be a pretty damn good one. We're going to get to see like what happens when you put skill on skill, and the Jimmys and Joes or the X's and O's. Like where's it? Where's the difference maker? And Michigan's got the advantage on paper, but mm-hmm. you know you just never know going into it. Nebraska got beat by a, a, a good team, and I don't know why the score wasn't higher for Illinois. I really don't. They yeah, it's some of it. I think some of their choices, kicking a field goal on fourth and one when they could have, or or just trying to be cute. You know, if we flip over and and instead of talking about Nebraska's defense, we talk about Illinois' offense. They threw the ball way more than I was anticipating because when they would line up and run power and let Chase Brown just go downhill. They were pushing the pile for 8, 10, 12 yards. And it's like, I would do that all game. Yeah. I would just, I would just like hit same on my controller. Same. <laughs> same. Until you stop it. Yeah. Because if you're getting six yards of carry, when you're running power, you're just going to wear down Nebraska's defense. You know, and Nebraska did a good job on defense of, of limiting big plays. You know, they were they were sound. They took Chase Brown what felt like out of the game, but he still got 149 friggin' yards. He did. And and they, they did a yeah, they limited the explosive plays for the most part. Illinois was um funneling passes to Isaiah to, you know, just give give it it's like when Nebraska was trying to do a trade. Just try to get the ball into the hands of the playmaker and, and let him make plays. Um Illinois just happened to be successful at it. They that's just that's their game plan. Um they don't go for they're not an explosive offense. That is not in their DNA. Um, and so to prevent them from, from the explosive play is good because it keeps you in the game. Cause the last thing you want to do is give a non-explosive offense, the explosive plays. Um, but this was a, just another game. Did we switch over to talking about Nebraska's you defense? Know, it's just such a me- It was so ugly and messy. Like it really it's easy was. to bounce back and forth. But, um, yeah, but this was one of those, another one of those games where it's like, cool, we're going to go up against, um, a big 10 West opponent. And they're gonna they're gonna do exactly what they want to do to us on both sides of the ball. Um, they're gonna run it. They're gonna control the clock. They're gonna make all the fucking passes that they want. Um, they're gonna limit their turnovers. They're gonna, you know, uh, win that the turnover margin. They're gonna take the points that they that they get. Yep. Um, and we're gonna fucking do. We're just gonna do dumb shit to try to to like we. Th- it's this mentality, I think, that's like we have to go above and beyond to 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 win a game, to score a touchdown. It's like, no, you just need to do basic shit. Like, you yeah. just need to do basic stuff right. You know what's what's kind of frustrating too is is you hear Mickey speak, and he's got this great philosophy about like stacking days, and that you know yesterday builds upon what we did today, and then tomorrow, and that sort of thing. And and to me, that contradicts almost what Mark Whipple does on offense. Now we're switching back to, to talking about that offense. Is is like. I don't see a whole lot of concepts with Whip's offense where 
one play builds upon that play to lead to then to disguise this next play and stuff like that. It's like, oh, we get one brilliant play like a like with Brewer, uh, Brewington with that beautiful tight end screen, and then we have a bunch of questionable like runs, misreads, stuff like that, and then later on, later on, we get Volkolek who scores on a beautiful you know tight end slip or whatever, and and. and you're getting these really great plays that are schematically great against this defense, but nothing to like draw the defense in, nothing to build upon itself. And I think, again, that comes to being afraid of that run game or, or refusing to establish it. And to me, this whole game just boils down to like quality decision making versus hubris. Like it's just you, you, you see, like you talked about doing the simple things, doing them right, making quality decisions. And if we lose because of that, we, we can live with it. But then there's this like aversion on the Nebraska side, it feels like at times, to do those things and be like, no, we 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 can we can do this throwing the ball. Like we, we can win this not playing sound football because we think we can. And it just doesn't feel like quality decision making. Yeah. Yeah. It's like resting on your laurels. Yeah, we bombed away on on, you know, Purdue. We bombed away on Indiana, you know. We can do it now. You know, yeah. we can just pull that out of our ass. But no. Um Okay, to get to, I need to go back to something concrete that I can be angry at. Okay, <laughs> I want to talk about Nebraska's offense on first downs. Okay, and this goes to this goes to all things. I think to play calling, it goes to um, execution. It's it's horrendous uh, what Nebraska's offense did on first down in this game, um, and and so this is one thing where it's like I imagine is Mark Wibble. Either he had really great first down plays and the players were not executing it, or he didn't have good plays at all for first down and it would constantly put them in a hole. And so then it would snowball into worse and worse decisions. Okay. They ran 20 total first down plays in this game, which isn't a lot, but they ran 20 of them if you get rid of the one where they knelt it to end the first half. I count that. You? Okay. No. <laughs> Negative two yards. <laughs> um, they threw the ball 11 times. They completed three of those passes for 27 yards, and then they took one sack for a loss of six. They had seven runs for nine yards, and then they had that one five-yard run that went for a fumble. Um, and then they had one holding penalty, so that one technically doesn't count. But um, if you add that all up, you get 20 first down plays, totaling 20 yards gained and one turnover. And that's good. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a, you're averaging one yard on, you're averaging, that means you're second and nine. Yeah. On average, like, that's, and they had not only a 10% success rate on first down, which a success is, is gaining 40% of your, of your yards. Sure. Um, that's so mind-bogglingly bad that this is, I, I, that I can't wrap my head around it. Like, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how you don't have an answer. Here's 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 my my saving grace. Here's my silver lining. Here's the way that I look at this because I, I, we're ragging a lot, and like that that there's a t there's a point where this like starts to hurt. Where I'm like, but God damn it, this is my team. Yeah, this is a Frankenstein staff, right? Oh yeah, this is a staff of guys who were brought in like a, a whip and a Rayola who we don't know if they were brought in because they were going to mesh well with our system, because they were an encouraged hire, because they were veteran guys or showed the kind of experience that we felt would bring a footing or a foundation, or if this was a decision made by someone who knew he had one foot out the door anyways, 
and was just trying to placate. We've got a guy in Mickey Joseph who's bringing a whole new energy where these guys weren't hired with that same energy, where this staff wasn't built around this energy. We've got a guy like Bill Bush who's excelling, I think. I would, I would argue that he's getting better. He's improving game over game, even though the scores may not look like it. His defenses, I think, are playing well. They're continuing to play well. And in the first few series, you see the linebackers kind of unsure of where they're supposed to be. I think the game got simplified for them, and then they were in the right spot. They were lining up. I didn't think that our defense against Illinois struggled as poorly as I thought they could have, right? It felt like this game could have gotten way more out of control than it did. Yeah. So I think that we've got this Frankenstein staff, and I think that Mickey at the at the helm is doing a, as best he can, and I think it's a pretty damn good job of keeping everything held together. But I don't always know what portion of this is held together with duct tape and what's held together you know, with welding, like what's solid and what's not. And then you look at things like, well, is Whipple looking to retire soon? Is he going to be on his way out? Does this matter as much to him now as last season did at Pitt? You know, like, like there's there's a whole lot of question marks to me around just the 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 building of this staff because it wasn't built, right? It was just brought together mm-hmm. through circumstance, yeah, which is is not a recipe for success, <laughs> right? Right. Well, and they, and and not only that, but they inherited um, a team that that was designed for a different scheme. Designed for a lot of different, I mean, and, and, and so to me, this is no fault of the individuals. This is no fault of the individuals on the staff. This is an, this is no fault of, you know, it it does us no good to, to place blame, but there's definitely anger. And I think that that's, that's the anger is valid, but like what pisses me off is like, okay, but have a, have a, like, just try and wrap your mind around it. And you're like, okay, well, I can't really be mad, but I'm going to be mad. Yes. Oh, I know it's irrational. Like I. I would do fucking terrible at this. I don't know. I don't know anything about coaching football or playing football. I know how to. I know how to react to yeah, a game. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah. So it's, you know, they're obviously these people have all reached this point because they can do things correctly. Right. It's just I'm mad because they didn't do it this time. They didn't do it correctly this time, and that's makes me mad. But <laughs> like I, I am. But I also think. They were not brought here to succeed, right? Like they're not in a situation where success was as inevitable as it's been in their last stops. There was an uphill climb and then someone made the mountain bigger. Does that make sense? Like they came here with a with a head coach who was already, you know, grasping, yeah. looking, looking for success in, in places where he's never found it before. And then he gets removed and so now you're left to... I feel, though, I feel like, just like we as fans were revitalized by Mickey, I feel like the staff could have been that as well. Sure. In the sense that, like, okay, like, we ripped off the Band-Aid. We didn't save Frost's job. Right. right? But now we have an opportunity to, to, earn. to earn it for help for Mickey. Yeah. Um, and not even... For, but for ourselves, have, have some fucking pride, you know? Like, And I'm sure these guys do. Like, yeah. Again, you don't make it this far... Um, without wanting to be successful and like having some sort of passion and drive, you know, that moving you towards that success yeah. and, and, and pride. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I think, I think it kind of, it just goes back to what you're saying. It is, it's all Frankenstein-y. And when you come up against teams that know what they want to do, Purdue knows what it wants to do. It doesn't always do it well, but it does it well enough to win. Yeah. Illinois knows what it wants to do. It does do it well. Um, and that's why you see 
these two different outcomes where with Purdue we were able to hang around mm-hmm. um, and make those big plays on offense, and with in uh, with Illinois we we couldn't. You know, we we stuck around for that half, but then as soon as you know, as soon as Casey got knocked out, the wheels fell off. Yeah. Um, and and I don't mean that what what I said as as a detriment to those coaches. Right. I, I I do think that the things that these coaches were doing was they were saying this is this is how I believe is the best way to win this game, but I just don't think it's in line. I think it's going off in all different directions, right? As opposed to like you're saying, every everyone is is moving in the same direction when it comes to that Illinois staff, right? Yes. They all have that same goal. And that goal is to win, but it's here's how we are going to win. Nebraska also has the same goal, which is to win games. But how we're going to win is an eight-headed monster. Yeah. And everyone's looking their own direction, and it just doesn't meld. And so, like, it's tough to be angry or it's tough to be frustrated, even though the feelings are definitely there. Like, when you look back at that and just go, well, fuck, I mean, these guys just really don't. It's easy. To me, it's easy to be frustrated. It's hard to pinpoint. I'm just mad in general, like it's some abstract something. Yeah. Um, well, it's also been, you know, I had 20 a, fucking years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I honestly, like, I, I didn't have, I didn't feel good about this game, but in general, I, f- I felt hopeful again for the season. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you rattle off a couple wins there um, and you think like, okay, you know, all these other teams are struggling. May, I mean, maybe, maybe you still yeah. want here for, you're at home. You know, maybe you catch Illinois off guard. You have that extra week to prepare. And so, like, all these little ideas, like, all these little thoughts is, like, maybe, just maybe. Have you ever thought that maybe you're, like, mad at yourself? Yeah. No, I, yeah, no trust me. <laughs> uh, I have a problem with, um, this is legit, I have a legit problem with generating expectations in spite of myself. And what I know is reasonable and rational and acceptable. And I can't help it. And then when when it all comes crashing down around me, I do. I become irrationally angry. And it's just this nebulous awfulness that I have to just wrestle with. Um, hence, probably drinking and <laughs> getting a microphone, you know? There you go. Me. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I yeah, I'm I don't know. We'll see we'll see what happens, man. I'm I'm gonna hype myself back up again. I was gonna say that's the beauty of the sport though. It's like I'm already thinking like, you know how good it's gonna feel if if we if we push Minnesota to the wire and, and beat PJ Fleck and we, we do all those <laughs> things, like it's gonna feel so good. I'm gonna tell you right now, I have such stupid confidence going into this Minnesota game. <laughs> Which is it's the beauty so of bad. it, right? Like <laughs> and we're back. Yes. Right? Like and that's yeah. why this hurts so much, right? It's such a far fall from yeah. where we were Saturday at 229 and then yep. to when the when the game clock hit zero like it's a far fall we are coming off the high dive because we've been climbing those la- that ladder for two weeks and now we're going to climb another ladder for another week but we're going to take it two steps at a time so that it's the same height that we're getting to oh, week God. over week yeah but i wouldn't have it any other way oh absolutely not no no this is such a great such a great um environment to have emotions yes because it is ultimately meaningless to us yeah right like i mean there's obviously some sort of investment there uh that's real for a lot of people um but for us it's like yeah like we're fans we get to just enjoy the the experience and i still get to go out there and i still get to get excited over luke reimer putting a good hit on a guy 
uh, whether he's out of bounds or not. And I, <laughs> I still get to be excited when Anthony Grant lowers the shoulder and the, the commentators were like, yeah, that's yeah, him. Yeah, here it comes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what he does. Or on the flip side, watching Chancellor Brewington not lay down a dude, but make a great what play, a great in, the play. Re- in, in the receiving and yards yeah. after catch. You know what so. I really liked about that play, speaking specifically of that, that tight end screen, is right at the end when he got hit and the ball started to come loose and he just did that ball security where he just like pulled that thing even tighter. He was like, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let this like I love seeing that effort from guys who yes. are they're, they're in the game the entire game, come hell or high water. Like they are there. Uh, Volkolek is is the same kind of player. Reimer is the same kind yeah. of player. Um, gosh, Nelson. Garrett Nelson, yeah, yeah, is that player? Um, Bashini was out there and he was you know proud of his kicks and like uh, his punts and stuff like that. Bleak Road was was clutch. I mean, had he had more opportunities, I'm sure they would have gone through the upright because that guy's a stud. He's got a smooth swing on that leg. Yeah. And then you got guys like Frankie, who the commentators are like, yeah, there's no chance for that return. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. monstering the ball out of out of the end zone. So it's it's so nice and it's so fun to get turned around and be like, okay, I know we got studs. I know we got guys on this team and I know we've got a fighting chance. Like, the talent is there if the coaches can get in line as well and work together and, and row in the same direction, man, oh God. we'll sink that boat next week. <laughs> oh man. It is, it is important. And you're, you're good at this and I'm not admittedly of taking a step back at some point, you get your emotions up, take yeah, a step back yeah, at yeah. some point and celebrate the players. Like find the, you know, find the stars of the show. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah. And, <sighs> take and, a moment to, and then yeah, uh, put in Logan Smothers like that's <laughs> <laughs> let let us feel good about him next time. You know, I've been on that. I've been on that. Fa- I've been on that. Oh God, let's get right back to angry. The fact that they did a quarterback run the second fucking play with Purdy. <laughs> <laughs> I could not tell you how frustrated I've been all season. Where I'm like, I so many other teams do this to Nebraska, where they put in a quarterback who can run the ball for a series and he is so effective and he steals a touchdown. They steal a touchdown every game. It feels like when that happens just because the defense isn't prepared for it and they're running the same play. It's just a read option, right? Yeah. Pull the ball, run the ball, throw the ball. Yeah. I can guarantee you that Illinois spent very little time preparing for that. If any, from same amount as Nebraska, (laughs) which is unfortunate. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I just think like, Ah, okay. I don't want to get into that because you just gave me a compliment about like (laughs) (laughs) focusing on the good times. I did feel good good to see Smothers in there. Maybe if, you know, the silver lining again to to look at that, if Casey is out for next week, we're going to see maybe two quarterbacks against Minnesota. They did say to expect that. Which I think is great, right? Keep Minnesota on their toes, have them question it. And I think you have two quarterbacks who can run the same offense. That's what I really think is Mm -hmm. don't put Smothers in and then just plain run him. Let him throw the ball. Let him throw it, yeah. And then put Purdy in and have him run the ball and and then start to play with that. Like, build upon yourself next week. Yeah. He's a quarterback. I don't know if they know. He, Smothers is a quarterback. Yeah. It means he can throw the ball. All right. Do you okay. want to talk about Drink Local Month? Because it's coming to an end. Yeah. That's sad. That doesn't mean you have to stop drinking locally, It though. does not. But I, I just have a question for you. You know, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild celebrated Drink Local Month throughout the entire month of October. We're the official mm-hmm. podcast of the NCBG. And I just wanted to ask, plain and simple, did you find any new beers this month that you were a fan of, uh, local craft beers, or did you have any go-tos that you celebrated while you were 
I did. Um, I found so I, w- I found a Nebraska Bruco. My wife shops at Costco a lot. Yeah, and they they have the big twenty four packs. So like, if I'm looking for like the value, Nebraska Bruco, you can pick up you can pick up a sampler of theirs. It's you know twenty four. You get four different types of beer, and they had um, a new one, a new West Coast IPA. I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it now. Was it the one you told me about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prestige Worldwide. Yes, Prestige Worldwide. Yeah, yeah. like from Step Brothers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. An incredible beer. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So I found that one. Um, what else? What else? I had White Elms Pub Ale. Ooh, yeah. Which was really nice. Saw that yeah. on the shelves recently. I think it's called like Thompson's or something like that. But it's a it's a pub ale, like an English bitter. Real nice beer. Easy to drink with everything. Malty, sweet, bitter. Just a really nice balanced beer. That was my favorite one that I discovered, so to speak, yeah. uh, this month. That's a good one. And that's a hard style to find. It is. It's not very popular. We're going to try uh, an English bitter from Code coming up down the road yes our buddy bill brood nice so, so excited for that one i am too yeah so. well if, if you guys get a chance before well i guess this will air on november 1st so get back in your time <laughs> machines and, and go back to october but continue to drink local craft beers you know it supports small business it does a great thing around the state it supports guys like script town it supports every craft brewer who's been a great fen- friend to uh, to our show and, and supported us and given us free beer or that we've been you know more than happy to to chip in for and stuff like that it's just it's why we do what we do on top of football yeah. Cool. All right. You ready to talk about Minnesota? I am, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to jump in. Well, let me hit with just the facts. Okay. You didn't happen to see the spread yet, did you? I, I checked before, um, and I did not see one out yet. Okay. Well, before we get into well, Is there? I don't, me, I don't know if there me, is because of the I'm going to read these things. You just ignore what I have to say. Okay. I can do that. Okay. I normally do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, just nod and smile. On November 5th, the Minnesota Golden Gophers will travel to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers. Kickoff is scheduled for 11 a.m. and will air on ESPN2. Minnesota is 5-3 on the season and is led by P.J. Fleck, who is 40-26 and 26 in his sixth year as head coach. Nebraska comes into this game at 3-5 and five and are led by interim head coach Mickey Joseph, who through five games is 2-3. and three. Saturday's game will mark the 63rd matchup between these two th- two teams, with Minnesota holding the 35 to 20 tie. <laughs> Minnesota holding the 35 to 25 plus two tie advantage. Vegas has the spread at ten and a half. Ooh, favor Nebraska. No. no. <laughs> What's funny is the spread hadn't been set yet, but my notes say Vegas has a spread set at blank in favor of Minnesota. Oh, hey, you put it, you wrote it in though. You didn't like type it in. So well, after like they won official. against Rutgers, thirty-one to nothing. Yeah, and then Rutgers with a backup quarterback. Okay, I'm just saying we had a backup quarterback too. <laughs> <laughs> I think ten and a half is fair. I think that's more than fair. Yeah, you know, less than two touchdowns. We're at home. Yeah, still a two-score game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not betting on it, but, you know, well, either way. We can't because we live in Nebraska. Nebraska, by the way, two and six against the spread this year, if anybody likes to know. Minnesota, oh, I was going to say, so we got a chance, but that's not how the spread works. Yeah. I can't remember. I think Minnesota's like three and five, so they're not what's that the, much better. Wait a second. What's the... Nope, they're five and three against the spread. I just looked at, uh, at your screen. What's the uh, the FBI saying, though? Uh, Nebraska has a 22.8% chance at victory. I thought it was more even than that, but that's what happens when two teams share similar colors. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. What do you What do you oh, want Lord. to talk about first when it comes to Minnesota? Okay. Let's see. What do I got? I've got um, Minnesota's offense versus Nebraska's defense. All right. Up. So we can talk about that. I've got a lot more about that than I did about Minnesota's defense versus our offense. Okay. So. Cool. Well, take it away. Okay. So I've just uh, jotted down a couple notes on what I would uh, like Nebraska to do, which I believe will make them successful in this game. The first thing is to get off the field on third down. That's a pretty typical typical one. It's something that Nebraska's defense has struggled with. I know they've been put in a lot of tough situations this year, um, but they have not always helped themselves uh, when they're given the opportunity. When it be, you know when when a penalty happens, it's second and long now, second and twenty on a, after a holding. They end up giving up fifteen, making it third and short, and then they don't convert, or they allow the other team to convert, or they hit the quarterback um, out of or they, yeah, or they do something. Um, Which okay, I know we're talking Minnesota, but I do want to talk about that play. Yeah. He was one foot out of bounds. He was clearly out of bounds, and and I think the fact that he got leveled and went flying. Okay, like <laughs> that it he, was a beautiful hit. He looked like a dog hit by a car, where he just went <laughs> on his side and just skid all the way in into other like oncoming traffic. Yeah. I mean, it was a mess. Anyways, but um, I didn't I didn't I wasn't like, Luke, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, they're going to call that. But it wasn't like a it wasn't egregious. OK, I can give you that. You but know at what the mean? same time, it was still a bad, a bad, it was play, a bad choice. But I, I wasn't one of those where I was like that. That wasn't dirty. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Yeah. Like it wasn't he didn't do that to like get even. Right. That's not the Luke. I don't think that Luke way. would do that. Yeah. No. Um, Who on the team would do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so how do you how do you get them into third and uh, or off the field? You get it third and long, okay? Yeah. After uh, Minnesota lost to Penn State, Fleck in his press conference said, "quote When we're behind the sticks on offense, we're not very good." End quote. Again, stating the obvious, but I wanted to see how true that was. Okay, um, Minnesota this year on third and short, so three yards or less, they've had thirty-seven plays. They've converted on thirty of them to get the first down, and have scored seven touchdowns on those plays. So they are very efficient on third and short. Third and long, which is third and seven yards or more, they've had 40 plays. They've only converted 12 and only scored one touchdown. So they their offense really is designed to pick up, to stay on schedule. And and, and again, that comes back to, to having Mo Ibrahim on your offense and really leaning on that run game. Yeah. Um, Minnesota's offense, their third down conversion percentage, I think at one point they led the nation at one point. At one point? Not anymore. They I don't know. I didn't I didn't look to see if they do. I don't think they do, but it's the it's inflated. It's a super inflated number. So against non-winning teams, they're they converted 79, 64, 87, 83 and then 67% of the time. But then that three-game losing streak where they looked like shit, mm-hmm. they were playing good like quality teams, their conversion was 33, 29 and 15%. Ooh. And so when they come up against that quality defense, and there was what was it? Uh, Purdue, Illinois, and Penn State. Mm-hmm. They really struggled on offense. Like if teams were able to pick them apart. Now, unfortunately for Nebraska, we fall in that non-winning category. Yeah. Um, and our defense against winning teams allows fifty-six percent, um, whereas against non-winning teams, we only allow twenty-seven. So we see um, a little weakness on weakness action here. Okay. I think. Okay. Is that right? Weakness. Little I don't know. Week either, on week this either week. Either way, I don't know. Either way, I think that's going to be one of the biggest keys to the game is if, if Nebraska can get Minnesota off schedule, if the defense can buy themselves some extra time off the field because we, we know that the offense um, and the way that they're calling plays right now, 
the offense um, and the staff are not going to do them any favors. Yeah. Like, you know, I think what's interesting about Minnesota's offense is is they were they were coming in with a lot of sixth year seniors who were primed to really lead this offense, you know, and, and to make a huge charge. Well, they had injuries early on. Chris Ottman Bell got injured in the Colorado game, I think three games in. Uh, Mo Ibrahim suffered another injury but worked his way back in. Tanner Morgan got injured. He got slapped on the head. Yeah, yeah, a little knock on the noggin. He got, he got punched. I mean, he just got straight up punched. Uh, <laughs> Illinois punched him. So it could be worse, Husker fans. Yeah. <laughs> Illinois could have punched our quarterback in the head. Um, so they've, they've kind of had a hard time really like having full steam on offense. But what mm-hmm. they've done a really good job is instead of, uh, you know, saying, hey, our offense is gone now that we don't have our star receiver or that our star running back is out. They've really done a good job spreading the ball around. And one of the things I noted was that Chris Ottman Bell is still the third best receiver on their roster, even without having played. Uh, for the past, I think, four games now. But what that tells me is they haven't said, okay, now you're our go-to guy. Now we're going to spread the ball out. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to carry the load. Same thing with their running back situation. Same thing with their quarterback situation. It's been less about stars and more about the team. And to me, that can be dangerous, right? Because then it's not a matter of who do we have to guard or who do we have to take out of this game in order to be effective. It's, okay, we've got to be sound. We've got to you know, be tight in our coverage. um, And we've got to be smart. Right, just try and yeah. limit the big plays, like you're saying. Keep guys behind the sticks. Mo Ibrahim is their key to success, obviously. Yeah. Right, if you can shut him down and force them to be more of a passing team, then they don't have the stars on that side of the ball. But Tanner Morgan is still an efficient quarterback. He's still effective. He's got a good arm. He's been at school for six years. Um, you know, he's he's been uh, the guy for PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck's entire career at Minnesota. So. There, there's there's a lot of trust there, and if the game falls on his shoulders, you better believe he has no problem stepping up. I think this is a really tough offense uh, to go up against because they aren't crazy efficient in any stat, but because they do play well as a team. Yeah, this is this is um, Illinois all over again. I think just with more words on, you know, in the past, like yeah. they've, they've shown that they they can be thrown off. Um, again against tougher competition but they do this have the same idea Mm -hmm. in mind we're going to pound the ball we're going to lean on this one running back to just be our bell cow um, and then we're going to have a smart quarterback right that can distribute the ball Um, again not an explosive offense if you look at their like you know plays of 10 plus 20 plus yards 30 plus they're right there with illinois like almost almost verbatim like to the to but the almost the exact wouldn't number. you say though if if Ottman Bell was still in that number would be maybe a little more on the other side that you'd have more of a passing threat that Illinois doesn't have I yeah mean, cause, yeah because I think Tanner's shown that he can yeah he can actually he can get in the ball and that sort yeah. of thing but but they they don't have that now on their team and they haven't they've chosen not to develop the next guy into that and and I think that's really impressive for a staff the, to be able to pivot and and be able to make those adjustments mid-season yeah the still fact that they can find success yeah they can continue rolling along um i mean you know they went through that slump but they they continue to fight through it um you know and and any i guess yeah mo ibrahim just to to keep going on about him this dude he has been playing hurt he's got a, a bad ankle and i think yeah. he aggravated it this last game against rutgers and good and was <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter like <laughs> He aggravates it every game, and he still runs. Like he still—that's his secret like power. He's free. like, I'm aggravated. He runs on pain. <laughs> um, he's he has 16 straight games over 100 yards. Um, he's top 10 in the Big Ten all time now in in touchdowns. He has 
He has 46 touchdowns in his career. Yeah. He has zero receiving touchdowns. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which I thought was super, like, not even, like, one play. Yeah. One play. Not even, like, an accident. Yeah. <laughs> like, bloop, like, somebody just, like, bobbled the ball and he, it and got he tipped, tipped or, him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so he's, he's all I would venture on the to ground. guess he probably had, he might, ha- I would, does he have a passing touchdown? Has he thrown nope. a touchdown? Nope. No, he, he hasn't done any no. sort of halfback. No. Oh man. Yeah. Just 46 no it's just straight get, up. Just hand the ball and he'll fucking run forward and he'll find the end zone. Yeah. That's it. That's insane. It's crazy. He, against Rutgers, Rutgers came into that game as a six ranked defense against the run in the nation. Yeah. Not, and we know that they, they, they stopped, they shut down Anthony Grant. Yeah. Not a bad Defense, not, not a bad team. I don't think. I think Rutgers is again. They know what they are. Yeah, and just they're a all solid. Yeah. yeah, and again, they have they they have Rutgers on the offensive side was missing a lot of key pieces. They're missing sure. quarterback, running back, all that. And so I think that really deflated their chances. But their defense is still solid. Um, he still went. They and this again. This is a team that knows what they want to do, and it doesn't fucking matter if you're the sixth ranked or the hundred sixth ranked. They're gonna play the same way. They gave him the ball, Mo Ibrahim, 36 times. They gave him the ball. He went for 149 yards. Sound familiar, that number? Yep. Uh, and he put in, he punched in three times. Three times he, he scored uh, in this game. So Minnesota's just going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, and, and I fully expect Nebraska to see uh, an identical game plan to what Illinois did. Sure. Um, and, you know, Minnesota obviously has the tape. They can just look at one game this season and be like, okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> So then Minnesota's defense. This this to me, again, this this goes into team identity and team culture and the importance of this. Minnesota's defense was already doing what their offense had to pivot and do. They they play as a unit. If you look down their stat sheet, I don't think there's anyone on that stat sheet that's a monster. There's no one on that stat sheet that is blowing your mind. Maybe uh is it Strigow? Strigo? Danny Strigo, the defensive lineman, he's got three sacks, four tackles for a loss, a pass breakup, and an interception. Like, he's about the only one that, you know, is is in marks across the entire board. But guys like Terrell Smith, Jordan Howden, Mariano Sori-Marin, like, all those guys are, are key players on that defense, but they're not racking up crazy stats. They're playing sound, their guys are where they're supposed to be, and everyone's just dispersing, you know, the the, the, the tackles and the interceptions and the fumble recoveries and all that. Even after giving up 45 points to Penn State, the season average for Minnesota's points scored was 16. Yeah. So this is a defense that limits points similar to Illinois. They might be a little bit worse than Illinois' defense, but like that's it's fractual. It's tiny. It's not a huge differential, it's in my n- opinion. It's not, but they have, to me, they have some key components to the game that they're missing. And this is where my... This is where that little ray of hope comes in. Yeah. And I just, you know, peeks in through the wall and I just start tearing it down. I'm like, come on, you know, bring in the light. Um, Minnesota uh, only has 10 sacks on the year. They yeah. do not have a pass rush. That's that's less than Nebraska, which is crazy to me. Um, they only have 31 tackles for loss. Again, that's fewer than Nebraska. I think they're worse in the Big Ten in those stats. Um, and they're allowing 3.8 yards per rush attempt, which is... 50th like they're middle in the middle of the road in that sense and so up front I think is where they are weakest now they don't let teams pass the ball like at all their secondary can really shut down a passing attack um almost as well as Illinois if not as well but that that attack up front down in the trenches there they're not disruptive enough and so if Nebraska if Nebraska has Casey um 
that's where my that's where I feel halfway towards confidence that okay, like our line just needs to do okay enough against not a good pass rush, yeah. right? Um, they need to do just good enough to block to give Ant- to give Anthony enough room to run, um, and then maybe we can you know take some shots. Maybe we can find a hole uh, you know deep in this in this pass defense. So that's where my hope comes from on on in this game is right there is the fact that they don't have a pass rush, the fact that they don't uh, get into the backfield and and stop the run before yards are gained. Yeah, and that's and that's what I mean. Illinois was really good at those things. Um, Especially at getting after the quarterback, mm-hmm. um, I think they had four sacks against us in this game, like two on two on two different quarterbacks. So that was that's about where I stopped because I didn't want to <laughs> dig too much further into into their defense because I wanted to like I wanted to live on that that little high. Well, I think you know, especially after the Rutgers game, it's going to be even better off for them. They're going to be you know padded even more on on statistics. Re- depending on where you look, they were ranked either top 15 or top 10 in total defense. They're they're a very solid defense. Not to sell them short or be like, "Hey, they don't have a pass rush." Well, they're still effective in shutting down the run and shutting down the pass and keeping you from scoring and keeping you out of the end zone. And and that's a team that's had three losses. Right? Like yeah. th- this is a top 15 defense but still has three losses. So there there are you know, chinks in the armor, but they're also a, a very good team who's just had three losses against three better teams. Yeah. Well, well two and a half better teams. I wouldn't say that Purdue's a, they not, lost to Purdue. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, not necessarily. Not not necessarily a better team, but just a, a more prolific offense than the defense could handle. Mm-hmm. Um, but a Penn, Penn State's a good team. Penn State gave Ohio State everything they could handle and yeah. then some. Yeah. Uh, and we just saw how good this Illinois team is. I mean, it, it doesn't, yeah. take a genius to see how effective that defense can be if if i'm a minnesota fan and somebody presents that argument hey you guys don't have a pass rush um and that's why i have hope you can flip that around yeah, yeah. we we don't have a pass rush and it doesn't matter yeah um you know we we don't get in the backfield a lot it doesn't matter we still stop people from scoring sure and that's ultimately what matters so absolutely um, it's that bend don't break yeah yeah devil's advocate there and just cool because i can't get way to too, advocate for the happy. devil pj fleck <laughs> the fucking devil <laughs> Any other oh, thoughts when it comes to Minnesota? I mean, for their special teams, I have they got a pretty decent field goal kicker in uh, Matthew Trickett. Yeah, but they're not a major threat to me on punt or kickoff returns. They're not getting crazy yardage. I think that they're serviceable. They're not going to make special teams mistakes, but they're not going to defeat you on special teams alone. I think that that defense is sound enough for them to really carry them through. And then when offense succeeds and special teams succeeds, it's it's you know amplified. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Um, they average twenty five yards on kick returns on 11 returns this year, which is pretty high, but I don't think they're going to have that opportunity with Frankie kicking. No. Um, assuming on the weather. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I, one of the biggest, and I put this in all caps, don't let them block a kick for fuck's sake. Just yeah. don't let them block a kick this game. Let's have one game without a blocked kick, whether it's a punt, you know, PAT, yeah. field goal, whatever. Let's it, just, it'd be nice to see yeah. Nebraska special teams, you know, make something happen. You know, that they've been kind of quiet. So let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get aggressive on that special teams and, and maybe, Steal a few there. Yeah, mostly on punt. Like, let's just let's take our touchbacks on the kicks. But like, yeah, punt return. Maybe there's something there. Or block a punt. You could you could block a punt too. Yeah, take it back for a touchdown. See what happens. Awesome. Might win like ninety percent of the time. There you go. You got a prediction so, for this game? I do. Um, you do. I got way too long. I got a full pager. Well, this is like a Minnesota drive. It's long, and you're not gonna like it. Here's my prediction. Okay. <gasps> I what? didn't do one this week. Whoa. What happened? You, you lazy know, on me or what? 
I'll, I don't know. I'll make it up as I go. You knew I was going to have 300 words. <laughs> I'll just let him have it. Hey, man, I, I wrote something kind of long about, about this, so if you could just not do one. Yeah, sure, Drew. <laughs> go ahead. Take it away. Okay. All right. Here we go. If Nebraska wants to beat Minnesota, they must be Minnesota. Run the ball, control the clock, protect the quarterback, win the turnover battle, wear down the opponent. But that's not enough. Any quality Big Ten team can do all of that. No, in order to beat Minnesota, they must truly become Minnesota. And as Mickey will tell you, that starts with him. With Sirius blasting over the PA and a sellout crowd rocking Memorial Stadium, Coach MJ Joseph sprints out onto the field sporting his clean white zip-up jacket and striped tie. <laughs> I took this joke and I just kept going, so I hope I hope this all I hope you're okay. Buckle up. I am totally okay. okay. The bright November sun glistens off his freshly polished dome as he shouts, Nanner Nanner Boo Boo, you can't catch me to his trailing team. Inspired by the head coach's newly found Necton mentality. Whipple refuses to throw a single pass on a 14-play, 72-yard drive that chews up 12 and a half minutes and gives Nebraska a 3 to nothing lead. Not to be outdone, P.J. Fleck needs, or feeds Mo Ibrahim the ball on the ensuing drive. Nebraska's defensive front can't do enough to contain the all-star running back, and with just three minutes left in the half, Minnesota takes a 7-3 lead. Nebraska fails to respond on offense, but there's no time left for Minnesota in the half to do any further damage. P.J. Fleck is so utterly impressed and confused by Nebraska's transformation that he follows the wrong team into the locker room. His halftime speech to the Corn Huskers is a real doozy. Both P.J. and M.J. sprint from the tunnel together to lead Nebraska back onto the field, with the sun still beating down the glaring or the glare off their bald heads combined temporarily blinds Tanner Morgan. On the first play of the second half, the impaired Morgan throws an errant ball straight to Buford, who returns it for a touchdown. Nebraska takes a 10-7 lead, and no one in the stadium cheers louder than PJ. But we all know how the old saying goes, a boat without an oar can still find the shore. And the Gophers without a coach can still find the end zone. Ibrahim easily clears 100 yards on the day as Minnesota takes a 14-10 lead into the fourth quarter. With time running out and the Minnesota offense driving late, a loss seems certain until a miracle happens. Mark Whipple passes out cold. The game is paused. It takes several minutes for trainers to revive the coordinator, but when he finally comes around, he reveals that he passed out because only then he just realized that he had made it through three quarters, having thrown less than 10 passes for the first time ever in his 87-year coaching career. The delay gives Nebraska's defense a chance to catch their breath, and they buckle down to force a punt with just under two minutes to go. Disgusted by all that has transpired, Mickey sheds the zipper hoodie and tie, sends PJ back to his own sideline, and commands Whipple to unleash Hale as in Hail Mary. Three plays later, Nebraska is dancing in the end zone. They keep their bowl hopes barely alive with a 17-14 to 14 win. Ooh. I don't know if any of that's going to happen. I don't think so. I need a drink <laughs> after that. Ooh. But I do think that if this game is going to be won by Nebraska, it does need to be a low-scoring game Yeah. Um, on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that you're maybe going to get out of here at most with 24 points for Nebraska. Whoever, like the first one to 20 points wins this game. That's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is going to be a slugfest. Nebraska's defense has done a good job of slowing teams down and getting the ball back and giving the offense ample opportunities in the first few quarters. I feel like we need to get a lead and hold it because that defense is going to eventually start to slow down just yeah. because of the number of plays they're, they're having to see. I don't know that, uh, that uh, Nebraska is going to be able to establish the run partially out of just, you know, the fact that we won't call it and <laughs> the other part out of the fact that I think that eventually Minnesota will hunker down on that. But again, if you build on top of yourself 
and you start running the ball and make them sell out against it, and then maybe you you open up, hold your line well enough, and you get the ball into Palmer's hands, you know, miracles can happen. It could happen. Minnesota is not designed to play from behind on offense. They just aren't, and they're they're really really bad at it. Well, then then so let's, let's get them from behind. That's <laughs> take them from behind. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I think that that really is it. Nebraska has to get out to a hot start, and they've shown that they can. Yeah. At least on an opening drive, it's just can we string a couple together? I you know I'd I'd love to have the start that we had. With this, with this defense playing the way that they're playing, where they are slowing teams down. Teams are still scoring against this Nebraska defense, but we're slowing them down. If we can get off to a start like we had against Iowa last season, where it's like this barrage of points, special teams mishaps, and you know you get 21 points or something like that on the board, mm-hmm. you may not score another seven points, or you might score three more points, and you wind up, again, like I said, 24 points on the day. But then you're having Minnesota have to chip away at that, and you know what the mission is then, right? Like yes. it's just keep them out of the end zone. Just keep them from from big plays. Just yes. keep everything in front and and let the clock be what decides the game, not the points. Yeah. Then I think that we've got a shot at it. So I'm going to say 24-17, Nebraska. Nice. That's that's going to be where I put this. Beautiful. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, again, this is a the team technically still has a shot at, at bowl eligibility. Um, you know, Michigan's the only team left on the schedule where you look at it and you're like, mm, that's. I we'll don't even look at it that ink, way. Ink I go, out. I can't wait for that <laughs> upset yeah. and the big house. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, there's three teams ahead of you from the West that like that have had your number. And this is if you want to start not, I mean, even if you're not going to get to bowl eligibility, you're not going to turn the season around. You might not reshape it. You might not um, win the job for Mickey. This is this is a chance for guys to. Um, you know, win against a rival, yeah, and and show like, hey, like we're not, we're not counting ourselves out yet, yeah. Um, and, and, we still and have honestly, something to give. That's all I want. That's been the beauty of this season is just seeing this team with no quit. Yeah, I still don't feel like even after what happened against Illinois, this team has that quit. They're not. That's not been injected yet. There's too many guys who came back or who are leaders on this field who are playing. You know, the Rhymers, the Nelsons, the the the, the guys like that who are just. They're the Nebraska kids. They're not going to let everyone else dip down. Uh, leaders like Trey Palmer and Anthony Grant, who are still running hard and playing hard. Volkolek, Brewington, those guys who are still hitting hard. You know, all those guys that are out there. I don't think that this team's going to show that quit. And to me, that's that's worth almost as much, if not more, than wins. Like being able to at least. No. Have... <laughs> I'm serious. No, I know I you would, are. I would. I would so much rather see a team that's that's just not thrown in the towel. It, if it, you know what I mean, like if it just meant that the other team falls apart and we steal a win, if I can see for the next four games this team still fighting every single time, to me that's maybe not more important. It's just as valuable as the win, because then I know that there's something being built there. And then I know there's momentum that whoever comes in next time is going to get kids who aren't, you know, they're not quitters. Yeah. Anything I, else, they're they're not giving up. Here's why I dispute that is because if they don't have quit. If that you can ha- not have quit and win, they're not mutually exclusive. Like, I know what you're saying, but like, yeah, I want to yeah, okay. see, I want to see this team not give up and win. That's what I want. Yeah, I, I know you want the same thing, but that's what the, well, that's what I just said. But I just said quit instead of not give up. But that's fine. Okay, I I don't I, it, yeah, I mean okay. I, I don't think Frost team ever gave up either. They didn't give up. His his, his team's, team no. His players did not give his up. His Pilates on the sideline? Yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
His play is this team is built to not give up. Right. You're, you're right. Oh, oh, man. Man. So many emotions. Just so much swirling. Yeah. And to top it all off, we got to fucking look at PJ Fleck for three and a half hours next week. Yes, we do. Oh. Yep. What do you say we bring it home? All right. Yeah. Let's put a bow on it. Yeah. As they say. Let's put a Pelini on it. <laughs> you got the first words of our closing and you're just <laughs> all out of order and. Every time, I don't know why I can't get my shit together. <laughs> oh, God. All right, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to call in and leave a message on the Wannabe Talk-Ons hotline at 402-427-0258, you just might be featured on our show, but we also recognize that some things are failed experiments and that maybe we should stop <laughs> trying to make fetch work. Seriously, call the number. We'll start calling you. <laughs> we'll call you back. <laughs> hey, I saw you left a message. Uh, remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Join us next week as we react to the Minnesota game, preview Michigan, and sample beer from Bootleg Brewing in Taylor, Nebraska. Thank you for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.